Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Ferguson, Chicago. Now, before we get to our episode on Rockstar, just wanted to give everybody an update. We've had an incredible response to uh, to On Strategy Freelance, which is a um, sort of a network we're creating of full-time and part-time freelancers, strategists, and all aspects of strategy um, from, uh, from around uh, the world. Thank you to everybody who signed up. And for others who haven't yet done so, you can visit our, our website, onstrategyshowcase.com. And under the Freelancers tab, you can get more information about the new network and what we're trying to do with it. So uh, thank you for everybody's participation. Today, I, uh, I talked to um, 180 Amsterdam's uh, Tina Salzberg. She's Chief Strategy Officer at the agency and with Mark Kirkham. He's a vice president, general manager for sports and energy drinks at PepsiCo. And we're talking about Rockstar, which is, for those familiar, Rockstar is an energy drink in the same uh, sort of competitive set as Monster and uh, Red Bull. And what's really interesting about the Rockstar story is it's sort of looking at the brand through a new lens. Uh, Last year in 2020, PepsiCo purchased the brand. The brand's been around since uh, 2001. And so we're going to be talking about how they've sort of shifted the definition and sort of reframed what Rockstar means for the brand. Because the brand really came up in that sort of high-octane, bikini-clad model lifestyle and, and sort of activities extreme sports sort of context and built a very strong business. But I think as uh, Pepsi Co. has been looking at it as trying to broaden that off that audience. So as part of that, it's sort of redefining what sort of rock star means and uh, in order to expand the appeal. So this is really a conversation about that expansion and talking about how they've thought about it, how they've sort of solidified the direction that they're going in. And it's sort of this contextual shift from what used to be sort of a high performance lifestyle, high octane lifestyle, and then being shifted more to this idea of the brand being um, one that gives you the energy you need to achieve. So it goes from a high octane lifestyle to an everyday lifestyle. The campaign just launched Uh, As many of you may have seen here in the U.S., there was some work that launched around the Super Bowl. The campaign we're talking about uh, was not developed by the U.S. team. It's more the international team, and they're working across the rest of the world. But there's still that sort of common connection that we'll hear in terms of the brand. Um, So uh, enjoy this one with uh, Mark Kirkham and Tina Salzberg. Rockstar. Enjoy. So welcome to Mark and to Tina. Uh, excited to have you both on the show. Uh, we're talking about Rockstar today. And uh, many of us may have seen, uh, I'm sure many millions of us saw uh, some of the Super Bowl work this year. Uh, but to start off with, I wanted to kind of look, uh, look sort of um, backing or else get at least a sense of the category um, before we sort of dive into the details of the uh, of the new shift within the brand, so maybe we can start with with Mark. Can you can you tell me? Uh, I know I know that uh, PepsiCo has more recently purchased the brand, and so you're rel- mm-hmm. you're relatively new to it. But can you tell me about you know when Rockstar was first introduced and 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 what you what you kind of know and may have admired about it from the beginning? Thanks, Fergus, for the opportunity to to talk about the brand and what we've been doing. I, I think the the first, you know, if you go back, Rockstar is twenty years old. Uh, it was started by a guy named Russ Weiner, who you know was very entrepreneurial in his mindset. Um, you know, he 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 essentially designed the brand around um, you know him, his lifestyle, and what he saw was an opportunity in the market. 
Um, and, and thus, you know, Rockstar was born, you know, back in, in 2001 in Vegas. Um, and, and I think what's important to think about the brand is to think about it in the context of the energy drinks category at that time. You know, the energy drinks category has, you know, it, depending on how you look at it, it's been around 30 or 40 years. Obviously, Red Bull had, had defined it in many ways, you know, kind of building through the, the 90s. And, and Rockstar was very innovative when it started. It was the first, you know, kind of 16 ounce or 500 mil um, kind of drinkable energy, like a, a larger portion than what you saw in the early origins of energy in Asia and the small shots or all the way to the, the Red Bull cans that everyone's familiar with today. Um, and so the brand was very much, you know, intended, you know, as, as Russ uh, designed it to be kind of, you know, a lifestyle drink. Uh, and it was about being a rock star and not in a music context, which is the, I think the one thing people would automatically assume, uh, obviously music has always been part of the brand, but it was very much this idea of being a rock star, you know, out there uh, having a good time. And, and that was, you know, it, it was the original DNA of the brand, you know, the original tagline was party like a rock star. So it was a very, um, I would say a little bit juvenile in the sense that it had its, its anchor in just having a good time. And, and I think the category very much was that way 20 odd years ago. And, um, and that's the basis. The brand was pretty much a U.S. only brand, uh, till the, about 2007, 2008, when the brand extended into Europe. So Tina, when you come you come onto the business uh, with uh, with the 180 in Amsterdam, and um, you're looking at this brand, how would you describe, as from a planner's perspective, the the platform that the brand had been built on, the brand platform? Yeah, I mean, I think it was clear from the moment it was um, acquired by PepsiCo that some of the brand really felt like it had been left behind and it was a bit out of touch with with consumers and, and kind of the, the prevailing narrative of the time, right? So we we entered kind of into the Me Too era. And meanwhile, um, Rockstar was still kind of displaying uh, bikini clad women and all of that. So like there was definitely, and, and I, what Mark said is absolutely right in terms of, um, you know, it was very much kind of a party goer uh, and more like extreme partier, I guess, uh, and even, you know, motor, motorcyclists and all of that kind of um, target. But it was clear that it needed a bit of a, a facelift and a refresh. And we really need to get into uh, culture and our consumers and the mindset. When, when you look at Red Bull um, and you look at Monster and you contrast this with where um, with where Rockstar has been, can you kind of give us a sense of how you would how you would describe the platforms for each of those brands? I think both Red Bull and Monster have done a good job of just being consistent. You know, I mean, if if I say gives you wings, most people would know what brand that is. And Red Bull's obviously expanded into various other ventures and media house, et cetera. And Monster has has stuck to its unleash your beast mentality. And I think that is that's given them, you know, some some legs and platforms in which to build. I would argue, however, that the category and the opportunity within energy is much broader than a, a, a potentially narrow positioning or a a very specific tonality. I think I think the reality is, and actually I would say we know the reality is, is that consumers have evolved. The category has evolved. You look at the new entrants around the category, you know, it's, it's a much broader appealing and therefore brands need to really embrace 
not just their DNA, but who who their consumer is and how that consumer has changed. And and I think that's where we're you know looking at Rockstar is this is a chance to redefine what it means to be a rock star. You know, I think we, we started this conversation saying, you know, whether it doesn't matter whether you're 20 or 40, everyone's got a, in their mind who a rock star is. Um, and it typically, you know, in, in some, in some, uh, in some generations will be, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin and other generations, it'll be, um, you know, uh, kid rock, but it is, it is, it's still, as you think about it, it, it needs to be more approachable. It needs to be more every day. I mean, you know, everyone can be a rock star. You don't have to be a musician. And I think that's the learning we took from the research we've done around the world is actually there are, you know, millions upon hundreds of millions of rock stars out there that are just everyday hustlers who we really have an opportunity to relate to. And I think that's where the category has missed, you know, at least over the last five to 10 years as the categories evolved, is having a more broadly appealing vision you know, for what these brands can be. And, and that's what we're trying to take Rockstar. If we distilled it down, like between the three brands in the space, I think like, and into a single word, you know, and maybe leveraging some brand archetypes, like Red Bull is kind of the classic rebel. Monster is the outlaw. And I think Rockstar, or we know Rockstar has an opportunity, as Mark said, to be much more accessible. And I think we have an opportunity to really hero, be the hero and, and also pay homage to the everyday heroes who exist, you know, like the everyday rock stars who are out there and who are hustling every single day to make stuff happen. When you look at all of the research that was done, did you guys um, um, sort of um, deploy that research or was that something that was already done in terms of the, the international work? Yeah, so we were, I mean, when we were originally briefed and got involved with Rockstar, um, actually, at the early stages, it was really about um, building some of the foundations of the brands along with Mark and the team. So um, they had done some research in the space and there was some really great kind of deep ethnographic and qualitative um, empathy research that they had done. And we learned a lot from that and then did some additional research on top of that. But yeah, I think there was um, there was a lot of richness in actually what Mark and team already had, had uh, commissioned. So did did you go in with the hypothesis of th- this sort of redefinition of rock star and then converting it to the interpretation of everyday rock star? Um, did you go in with that and you began to explore it to possibly validate it, or th- was that an outcome that you, that that resulted from the research? From our side, you know, I would say we went in with the spectrum, right? You kind of knew where the category historically been. Um, the brand itself, in, in the grander scheme of things, is a much smaller brand. So its equities were maybe not as strong in some markets than others. So, so in some markets, we had specific, you know, defined brand understanding. And in other markets, frankly, it's, you know, it's white space. Uh, so we did go in with a spectrum of different ways to articulate what the brand stood for, you know, um, whether it's from a positioning or a tonality standpoint, uh, even the words we chose to describe ourselves. And, and actually, it was the consumer. You know, and when I say the consumer, I mean the consumer in all different types of markets, you know, from from Asia to Europe to Latin America. It was the consumer that really helped us reinforce that this was the right place to play. Um, And they're the ones who I think related to this type of articulation that defined, you know, the the everyday rock star or the person who's really out there to hustle 
um, and, and hustle in a positive way. I think it's important. There's, there's some negative connotations around the word hustle as well. But, but even if in certain markets around the world where maybe the hustle word isn't as colloquial or understood, um, it was the idea behind it, what it meant for them. And so, yeah, we went in with the spectrum um, and we really consistently found that consumers around the world and, and people seeking energy around the world really related to this space. And thus, you know, that informed the work that, that Tina and the team and our insights teams were able to, to develop. You mentioned the idea that when you were kind of entering into this, you had sort of a spectrum of, of uh, hypotheses that you went in with. Can, can you give us an example or two of what else was on that spectrum other than what you ended up uh, coming out of it with? Yeah, I think it, you have to anchor it back to where the brand was, you know, when we acquired the brand, or let's just say where the brand has been the past 20 years. And and the reality was, it was living in this um, nightlife party, you know, at times superficial uh, world, but but it, it was irrelevant to a lot of people. Um, and it, it, it had defined itself as being kind of the the sidekick, you know, along the ride. Um, and, and I think that is, that's still a territory that uh, the energy drink category plays. Um, so that's one extreme is to kind of continue down that path. Uh, but in very honestly, it's, it's, it's a, it's a me too space. You know, if you look at the way many energy drink players have executed, whether through action sports, extreme sports, um, you know, some of uh, some of the party imagery, bikini models, all of that stuff, you know, you could insert lots of different brands in that world. So that's one side of the spectrum. But then the other side of the spectrum would be, you know, just the everyday hardworking people. You know, it, it could be, I mean, if you, if you look at the, how we're telling stories today around this brand, and this was one of the spectrums, is to celebrate, you know, the everyday people, you know, the delivery drivers, you know, the people who build their careers out of their bedrooms, you know, recording and not, not, not the guys who are discovered on a big side stage, but the people discovered in their bedrooms um, to talk about, you know, the, the young, the young professionals, but you want to be a brand that people can relate to. And when I say people, a broader connection, we've done tons of segmentation work around different types of consumers. And, and the reality is, you know, there are lots, there are a lot more people who drink energy drinks than you probably realize. But but the brands have essentially put themselves in a certain you know position in that spectrum. Tina, when you look at the all of the work that Mark has talked to, the research work and and the initial sort of planning work that you guys did, um, when you when you came out of that research, did you feel that the and, and did Mark's team feel that sort of the the challenge that you thought you had when you went in uh, now seemed different? or had shifted in some way, or was it what you thought it was? I think, listen, I think that Mark and the guys had done some really good work up front already. So, um, so coming out, I mean, and, and to be fair, you know, we went into, uh, we did some consulting and that was our first engagement in establishing the brand foundation. So kind of like, you know, what's our purpose and all of that stuff. And then, um, and then we pitched for the business uh, and and ended up winning it. But I think there was, you know, there was unilateral conviction around around this reframe of the everyday rock star being absolutely the right place to kind of anchor 
anchor the brand. Um, and to and to maybe you know what what one could have um, potentially perceived the brand name like holding us back. It was really a flip to take the brand name and and infuse new meaning into it and and really reframe it in a way that was very relevant to um, to kind of you know our aspirational strivers who was a, the the segment to whom we you know to whom we spoke and and um and did a lot of the research with so it, it it seems in a way when you think about the fact that you're going into some markets that are relatively new for the for the brand maybe not for the category of energy drink and you're doing it in 2021 it almost seems as if you might have had no other choice than to reframe what rockstar meant um or you had to change the name. I mean, is that fair to say, Mark, or is that just because hindsight is twenty twenty? That's probably a little bit of both. Um, I, I do think in in a world where you're establishing the category in energy, you, you, to be honest, you can't just take the 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 Red Bull nineteen nineties playbook or the right. early two thousands Rockstar Mont. You just it, the, the categories change. The consumers evolve. So so you do need to go in with your eyes wide open and, and look to see how the brand can relate to the consumer need. And, and I think what's interesting is that if you look at the brands that were developed over the last 20 years, many of these brands have, call it attitudinal kind of tonal names like Monster, or they have very functional names like Boost, right? So these are these are brands who have defined themselves either by an attitude or a functional benefit. One of the benefits of having a brand name like Rockstar is you're not necessarily tied to either if you do it right. You can really define the brand to be both a balance of functional and emotional and also lifestyle as well as you know your own personal passion areas. It doesn't have to be too specific. And as you said, as you go into a new market, you know, a new market, you know, like in, in Africa or in the Middle East, you know, the brand's not there. The category is still relatively underdeveloped. You can define at a local level what it means to be a rock star or what it means to be relevant to these consumers who have a need for energy, but they, they have different passion points or they can relate to different groups. And, and I think this is where the brand name itself by being not too tied to one extreme or the other or one functional benefit versus uh, an attitude or a tonal meaning, I think has given us an opportunity that other brands don't have. In fact, you know, I think some of the brands out there are going to be limited by their brand name much, much more so than what we would, what we would have to face as we enter new markets. This hypothesis sort of plays out well in research. You probably get a reasonably good sense of how you might want to frame it. And then you go to creative. It seems like it's a very tight interpretation. Um, and, and I'm curious how they reacted to it. It was a sharp brief, I have to say. Um, the, the benefit we had was, you know, our creatives get deeply involved in, um, in the, the empathy research as well. And uh, yeah, so felt quite close to these consumers. Our creatives really understood and were able to empathize with that and got really excited by this notion of um, having some grit and having some courage and and really, you know, heroing the everyday rock star. 
Um, you know, we ultimately, when we pitched, when we pitched the business, I would say we had, um, we had three ways into a single brief. Uh, we didn't have three fundamentally different strategies or different briefs. We really kind of focused hard on, you know, what the everyday hustle is all about, what that behavior looks like, what, what mindset it requires. Uh, and then also, and then also thinking about then how does that manifest or in, in terms of the work and the creative and, and for sure beyond, um, beyond the TV spot. So what, what were your thoughts, Mark, when you saw some of the early work and is there anything you can kind of give us a sense of in terms of what, why some of it may not have worked as well as what you ultimately produced? Well, I think, I think it goes back to something Tina said is, you know, bringing the creative team along a journey, right? And and if you go back to, you know, we actually brought the creative team along the positioning journey. You know, we were we were we were pressure testing, you know, not just our insights or our hypothesis. We we're actually pressure testing the creative thought process, you know, just to kind of make sure that were we being truthful to, you know, what Tina just said around this idea around get, you know, the hard work is worth it. And enjoyment is not a sacrifice, you know, to, to hard work and finding that synergy, I think, came through in the creative expression. Um, you know, one of the things that you always have to be careful of in, in, in communication, and particularly when you think about TV, is trying not too hard to entertain people all the time. Um, and, and, and humor is always the one thing that is, you know, if, if used, if used well, can be amazing. And I think that's part of the creative journey as well, as we go through this. And I think that's to your point of your original question is, you know, some of the work, some of the ideas that even came from 180, you know, we're maybe probably pushing the humor a little bit too far. Uh, and then some may have been too functional and, and finding that right balance has been really important on this journey. So do you guys have um do you guys have planners internally at PepsiCo, Mark? Yeah, I mean we have a fantastic insight organization um uh that you know we do we do a lot of our own insight work um but I think what what's important and I would say this uh is it's something I believe in fundamentally is that when you bring an agency partner on board, you know, it is exactly that. They're a partner on the journey with you and our insights teams and our planning teams at our agencies. I mean, Tina has worked on major projects with us across brands at PepsiCo. And, and it's because it, you're a member of the team. So we, we spend a lot of time, whether it's research we do or it's work research the planners do through their network or things that are done in creative development. It almost feels and should feel like it's just one project. You know, it's not a bunch of projects that you bring together and then say, oh, did they all say the same thing? We, we very much operate as planners and insight teams, really um, holding hands and riding the you know, journey together. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's a conversation for another day, but to see that many uh, large brands are now sort of baking legitimate planning into their internal organizations is, is, uh, is phenomenal. When you look at, at, at the work that you developed, was it tested and did you learn anything from the testing of the work? We tested concepts. Um, we tested creative executions. We tested, um, you know, different types of, um, you know, activations with consumers. You know, I think that the thing about it is overall it resonates. Um, and we've, and you're always going to see some nuances in different parts of the world, and you're going to learn on how you might need to adapt things. I think the the two big learnings is 
one, being, you know, true to what it is that benefit, emotional and functional benefit you're trying to get across. And I think, I think that's one of the things that we're able to do consistently. The second thing is make sure you're talking to the right target. Uh, this category is still a very youthful target, you know, you know, from, you know, 16 to 30 kind of range, you know, the older you get, the less relevant this category and, and frankly, the brands who play in this category are, um, but the interesting thing is there's still a big need for energy amongst the older cohorts. So finding that balance. And also, I think it's important to understand when you do testing is, 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 is what not, what isn't working or who not to target. Um, and I think we got some great learning in that as well throughout the process. But uh, overall, I would say also when it comes to testing, you know, testing should be used as a guide to, to refine and to evolve it never should be considered a go no go. And when you're relaunching a brand, you know it's very much a journey. You know, equity, as we all know, is built over time, and the stories you tell consistently over time will be the things that people remember and the things that reinforce what your brand stands for. The thing you just said, Mark, about <laughs> about testing made me literally smile from ear to ear. Maybe another time we can have a whole coffee testing, uh, <laughs> coffee <laughs> testing conversation. No, I know. It's, it's great to hear that. And I'm you know, super curious as a sidebar because I've, I've talked to um, others about this too, and I'm curious what you think about it. Because I think, I think there was sort of a forcing mechanism that we, uh, that we all experienced during COVID, the lockdown, where we were almost forced to experience consumer and consumer research in new ways. And there's a lot of, of clients and agency folks that I've been interviewing where they're actually now becoming far more comfortable with sort of anecdotal qual, uh, with the recognition that an insight can come from one person out of a thousand. And that's the nature of an insight sometimes. It's something somebody says that connects all of the dots. And, and in recognizing that, coming through COVID and doing these sort of online uh, research formats, um, I think there's more people beginning to understand that you don't need massive scale formal research in order for an observation or an insight to be valid. Uh, you, you many times just feel it and it can come from one person. I mean, how do you feel, Mark, after having gone through COVID and experiencing research in maybe some new ways? Well, I think I think it's um, I think you've hit on something that's really important. You know, the little nuggets of true insight within there are the things that make us feel confident where we're going. And if we were doing it in a traditional environment pre-COVID, I think we probably would have been a bit more rigid. You know, we, we talked to a lot of consumers because it was easy to talk to a lot of consumers, to be honest. Um, and it forced us to be a bit more. Um, open to the type of work we do, different methodologies we use. Um, and at the same time, just having the ability to talk to so many consumers that we did, I, I think it's allowed us to think differently for the future. So I want to be clear, nothing will ever take away from, you know, true face-to-face -face ethnography where you can not just talk to someone, but you can look behind them to see what's on their shelf and see what they're, if they're really being, you know, honest about what they buy. But but I think what's what's important is you're allowed to go out and just talk to people about lots of different things. And the insights that I got from, you know, um, a, a delivery driver in Vietnam about why he drinks energy drinks and what motivates him on the personal side and the story about him and his family, not just his job and not which brand does he like, are the things that have informed what we've done. 
And in fact, those are the kinds of insights that actually helped us frame up some of the creative that, that are part of our campaign. Love it. Hey, hey, Gina, I wanted to ask you to expl- explain the work because we'll um, we'll drop the the work in here since um, uh, even when you're listening to the audio file, it actually makes sense because there's actually a script, which isn't always the case for audio files. So we were glad for that. But can you explain to us uh, the work that's launching, maybe a couple of the concepts, and then we'll drop the creative in? Yeah, sure thing. So um, the platform is Life is Your Stage. And I think uh, consistent with all of the stuff we've been speaking about strategically, um, again, really heroing the everyday modern rock star and what that means. And so, you know, we have, we, we feature in some of our films, um, at least, you know, the, the, the delivery driver, as Mark was just talking about. What's so fascinating about that one, actually, is if you think about the biggest heroes of our collective lives over the last 18 months during COVID, it has got to be delivery drivers of all sorts, right? Because life would otherwise have ceased to exist for many of us. I don't know how we would have eaten or anything like that. So, um, you know, and then and then on a completely different thing, we also have, you know, the the woman who's trying to make it as as a singer and as a star and a and a and a songwriter, and she's doing that from her bedroom. And um, you know, so it's it's really like, you know showing the hard work, the determination, the passion, they've just got to have the energy, uh, I guess, pun intended, (laughs) to get out there and the positive mindset and the determination and the courage and being able to overcome that self-doubt that all of us experience to just go go keep ticking away at it every single day. And that's really what this platform is all about. Early start. Running shipments, meeting suppliers, and rocking the pitch. A thumbs up from the boss, and a promotion with your name on it. This is your stage, Rockstar. Bring it on. Rockstar Energy Drink. So, Mark, um, tell us about the uh, little baby Super Bowl spot in 2021. Where does that fit into all of uh, all of this strategy? Well, the, the U.S. team developed that spot. And what I can tell you is that um, that spot, while developed separately from this campaign, if you look at the under, underlining ingredients, it's very much the same story. Um, obviously, it was a Super Bowl spot. So um, the celebrity role that Little Baby added to the story was was actually a really important piece of, of the story. But I think it's it's his story. You know, this is a guy who who had to work hard to get to where he was. I wasn't born in the spotlight. Nah. Had a grind to shine, like a star on a hot night. And something about the struggle now resides in my muscles. And every trial and trouble helped to hang my hustle. Real rock stars don't chase the spotlight, it chases them. And if you look at that 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 spot and what you don't realize, and there's the big, the backstory behind the other vignettes and the cameos within that, those are everyday people who have actually done something. You know, those are not all big celebrities. You know, one of them is is a is a gaming influencer who runs his own company and and really helped create his own company. 
Um, others are, you know, mechanics. Others are um, working in other roles and, and other jobs. You know, obviously, that essence of what it means and how we want to redefine rock star goes from the guy who has made it to the guy who's still working his way. And as you see the campaign that we've developed for the international markets, we made a conscious decision in, 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 in many of the pieces that, that Tina just talked to. We didn't put celebrities in them because, you know, the, the story of the bedroom rapper, heck, you know, Billie Eilish started her career that way. But, but rather than just celebrate Billie Eilish, we're going to celebrate who could be the next Billie Eilish. We want people to aspire and actually feel that they can achieve those goals, too, and have some fun along the way. How will the campaign roll out across different markets or uh, and out across different channels over time? Well, the campaign will, it, it already has started to roll out uh, different parts of the world. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to be heavily digital because that's where our consumer is. Um, obviously, we, we're running uh, the communication and the TV in, in several markets around Europe right now, and we'll continue to expand that in parts of Asia, et cetera, over the course of the next few months. Um, it'll be very much anchored around, uh, you know, getting that right message, you know, the, the receptivity, the insights that we have around making sure that we get the right message at the right time. And, and in the energy category, that's incredibly important uh, because it's a very on-the-go consumption-driven uh, category. I think the other thing is bringing the campaign idea to life in store is going to be critical to our success. You know, the, the, the category is, is very much driven by in-store execution and trial and sampling activities. So how you bring this idea of bringing this stage to life is, is really important. So the role of influencers telling their stories, really bringing to life their everyday hustle stories is going to be a big piece of this in addition to the, the overall campaign and creative. Uh, bringing relevant passion areas to life, whether it be gaming or music or other territories through experiential sampling. You'll see a lot of that. And I think the last thing you'll see is this, this new visual identity, which is very different than it was before. It's, it's more modern, it comes across as, as a more premium expression, a cleaner expression. And this use of a spotlight, which you know is a red thread for us, it allows us to really bring this idea of 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 shining the light on that you know that that real everyday rock star um, is is consistent. So whether it's a product visual or whether it's a lifestyle visual, you'll see that spotlight coming through, and I think that's really important. Was there ever any discussion about removing the uh, the graphic of the star from the packaging? No, in fact, I think it's one of the most important assets we have. And if I look at the history of the brand, it was probably one that was not heroed as well as it should have been. You know, um, I, I also work on our sports business and the Gatorade business. And the G-Bolt is iconic, right? And it's because we've anchored so much. You know, the Nike swoosh is iconic because it's consistently leveraged. I think historically the rock star star has actually not been leveraged and not been heroed enough. So frankly, you're going to see a lot more of that star and you're going to see us use that star as a way, and you can see it in some of our print executions, it's actually heroing and almost framing up, you know, the the, the everyday rock star and along their journey. Yeah, I would, I, I mean, I would totally agree with that. It's one of the strongest distinctive assets that the brand has. So it will drive recognition and familiarity and uh, yeah, and just make it much more, uh, easy, much more easy to navigate and to find at point of purchase. I'm curious, Mark. I'm interested in whether there is a there's a plan to sort of dimensionalize the hustle more or the hustler more 
in terms of you can highlight what people are doing, but is there a plan to play any other role in what people are doing or and making that uh, more longer term or part of how the brand creates and helps support the hustle? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, great question. I absolutely 100% agree that we need to continue and it is part of our strategy to really celebrate those hardworking hustlers around the world. And this is much more than just a creative exercise. It really has to be in the DNA and the purpose of the brand. Um, so what I can tell you is that our commitment to really, you know, the hustle and, and, and how hustle is, is more, you know, than, than just the hard work or the activity. It's that passion and that commitment to doing things and, and honestly, and doing things for good and doing things that, that are, that are more than just the brand. It's bigger than the brand. It's got more purpose. So um, whether it's us highlighting and showcasing and putting the spotlight on people who are doing that, or actually creating programs that are actually bringing, you know, bringing something more to that story and, 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 and galvanizing people around bigger ideas and showing how, if we all hustle together, we can, we can do great things. Those are the types of things that, that you should expect to see from Rockstar in the, in the months and years to come. I'd love for you in, you know, 30 seconds or less, can you give me, you know, sort of the, uh, um, the old sort of Rockstar brand platform compared to the new one? I would, I would say it's more to do with not having someone define what a rock star is, but let you define what it means to be a rock star. I think that's the big difference from the past into the future and celebrating those hardworking hustlers and those everyday rock stars versus telling them what it means to be one of those. Mark uh, Kirkham, uh, VP and General Manager, Global Beverages Group at PepsiCo and Tina Salzberg, CSO at 180 Amsterdam. Thank you guys for your time. All the best with uh, the relaunch, continuing relaunch of Rockstar. It was great to have both of you on the show. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks, Fergus. Really appreciate it. And we'll see everybody in the next episode.